Good afternoon. It's good to be in Louisiana. Most of you I, I probably have not met, but I do have a connection with Louisiana. Our son, I went to seminary in New Orleans, which probably a lot of people have, uh, but our son was born in Baton Rouge, um, and so uh, now he's 35 years old, and uh, it's, you know how it is. One night you go to bed, you're 25. The next morning you wake up, and you're 60. It's amazing how that happens. Um, but, it, but it does. But I'm so thankful to be here. I'm so thankful for Dr. Steve Horn's leadership here in, the, in uh, Louisiana Baptist. And uh, Keith Manuel's become a great friend. I appreciate his partnership. And um, just, just to introduce a little bit about myself to you, my wife and I, Christy, uh, got married right before we moved to seminary. We've been married this past December 40 years. We have one son, Micah. He and his wife, Kelly, have two little boys, uh, Jack and Wyatt. Um, Wyatt is seven. Jack turns five today. And uh, they live about 20 minutes from us. We, when they come to our house, we call them appropriately a biblical term. They're the sons of thunder because when they come to our house, they bring the storm. We're grateful for them to come. We enjoy them while they're there. And then we take a vacation when they leave. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, we're all worn out. But uh, um, just to tell you a little bit about myself, I, I grew up, my dad was an accountant. My mom uh, was a stay-at-home mom. I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, my mom and dad, very devoted followers of Jesus. My dad grew up at a home where that was not the case with his dad. His dad was a, a very wicked person. He died in prison. Uh, and in fact, it's amazing when you, if you were to meet my dad, my dad's passed away now, but if you were to meet him, you would never know the atmosphere which he grew, in, grew up in because his life along the way when he was a teenager was intercepted by Christ revolutionized by the gospel, and he determined that he would live all of his days devoted to making Jesus known as an accountant. He made him known to me. When I was 11 years old, I got to go to, uh, for my first time, to Royal Ambassador Camp, RA Camp. Any of y'all remember RAs? Remember that whole, I mean, maybe you still have them here, some churches do, sometimes churches don't, but man, back in that day, everybody on Wednesday night went to RAs. In the summer, we all went to a boys camp called uh, Royal Ambassador Camp. It was actually at Panama City Beach, Florida. And um, while I was there, the last night, it was Thursday night, we went to a, a rally um, in a Quonset hut with log benches. I sat about the third row back, and um, missionary told his story. I really didn't hear a lot of what he said. I was 11 years old. I was there for shooting uh, arrows with bows. I was there for camping out and uh, canoeing. But that night, something changed my life forever. He gave the invitation. He gave it a little bit different than what I'd ever heard before. He had everyone bow their heads and close their eyes. And then he said, if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and you have that solid, firm faith in your heart, I want you to quietly get up and leave. Now, a lot of people in Baptist churches want you to do that, the invitation now. But he did it at the boys' camp. I was on the third row. Nobody left on the first row. Nobody left on the second row. I was the only one left on the third row. And that bothered me. It was the first time in my life that I really felt all alone. And so when it was over, I went up and talked to the missionary a minute. He passed me off to a little teenager. He had cut off blue jeans on, long blonde hair. We went out on the beach. He opened up my Bible. Actually, I had one of those Bibles with the scene of the baptism of Jesus on the outside. He unzipped it walked me through the Roman road, and that day I gave my life to Jesus. Now, I'm so thankful 
for a teenage boy willing to share the gospel, and I'm thankful for a church that was willing to teach their teenagers how to share the gospel with other teenagers so they could know Jesus. Changed my life forever. Fast forward, 18 years old. I thought I was going to be the next Pistol Pete Maravich, good LSU boy. I, I loved watching Pete Maravich play basketball. And if you're, uh, if you're a lot younger than I am, you probably don't even know who he is. But he was remarkable, remarkable. I, I, I tried to do everything he did. Wore my socks like he wore his socks. You know, always pushed down. And, and uh, he, he used to say that he would hang on the doorpost just to see if he'd grow a few inches. I did that every day. My mom walked in, would you quit doing that? It's not going to help. But I was convinced that it was. Um, but my dreams started crashing when I was a, a senior in high school. Uh, I dreamed of playing pro basketball, but I just wasn't good enough, wasn't fast enough, couldn't shoot well enough. And so as, just, as a senior in high school, I realized this, this was all going away. Really bothered me. What am I going to do with my life? That's what I dreamed of doing. And God used that to stir my heart. And so I started praying, even though I really didn't want to. I remember walking in one day and asking my mom, what am I going to do with my whole life? Is there a whole life in front of me? What am I going to do? I wasn't a deep thinker then, but it really, really bothered me. And she said, pray about it. I told her, I'm not going to pray about it. This is my life. I'm going to do with it what I want to do. But when I walked away, I started praying about it. One night after working at McDonald's, it was 2 in the morning, I rolled back into our split-level home driveway, walked in through the basement. Everybody's in bed, but the TV's still on. That whole day, it just would not get out of my head. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with your life? I walked in the door of our living room that night. Billy Graham was preaching a crusade somewhere. I opened up the door, and this is the first words out of his mouth. What does God want you to do with your life? I talked back to the TV. Listen, I, I drove a 1972 Chevelle, jacked up in the back, loud as all get out. I had hair. I had long hair back then. And in my little McDonald's uniform, still smelling like hamburgers, I sat on the couch listening to Billy Graham preach a sermon somewhere in the world. And that night, God called me to ministry. And God gave me a reason to live, a purpose and mission in life. And it really, today, as we talk about evangelism, that's what I just want to help us get back to. I mean, listen, guys, why are you doing what you're doing? Ladies, why are you living the way that you live? Why do you make the decisions you make? Why do you order your day the way you order your day? What drives your life? What wakes you up in the morning, puts you to bed at night? What gives you fire for every day? Is it just to get up and eat breakfast and make it through the day and then eat dinner and go to bed and wake up the next day to do the same thing? No. It's what God has in store for us. It's what he's made us for. To bring him glory and to make him known. It's pretty powerful when you think about it. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to uh, Acts chapter 3. And I want us to start where we're going to land in Acts, actually, Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Let me just read this, then I'll pray for us. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. You remember this? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I want, to, I want to talk today about power for boldness because I think what we need 
more than anything else in America today is a holy boldness. Not arrogance, not obstinance, boldness. Hearts filled with compassion for people who need to know Jesus and a confidence in the message of the gospel that won't leave us alone until we share it. And, uh, and we share it. So let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your amazing love for us. And I just pray that you'd meet with us this afternoon. I know it's a Tuesday afternoon and just heard some great music. Reminded us of who you are and how you work in the world. God, I know there are a lot of other things that get our attention. We've got all kinds of distractions around us. Our cell phones and um, things to do and demands of the day. But I pray in this next few minutes that, Lord, you would just help us meet with you. That you'd work in our hearts. This world desperately needs a church that's passionately in love with its Savior and deeply committed to making him known. We cannot do it on our own. So we just ask that you fill us with your spirit, give us your strength, and give us boldness so all the world may know that Jesus saves. And God will give you praise for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm going to walk through some scriptures. We're going to put them on the screen. If you get a chance, just jot them down. Just reminds us of what the Word says about our responsibility and charge to share the gospel. And it, it is not for just pastors. This is every believer. When you come to know Christ as your personal uh, Savior, you have a message to share. I, I love what I've heard over the last couple of days. Something I've heard, it's echoed through the messages. We've made the gospel so complicated. Jesus made it simple, clear. In fact, John... And 1 John said this, and this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's clear, isn't it? But think about this. And by the way, when we read this, when we read these verses, I want you to think about when you're reading this book. I think it just stirs our heart with a holy passion for God. But remember, this is, this is God's word. To us, um, a few weeks ago, my actually a couple of months ago, my wife and I downsized. If any of y'all are considering that, don't do it. Leave it for your children. Leave all the stuff for your children to go through. They can handle it. It's a, it's a painful process, but we downsized. I was going through my office and I found a card from my dad. My dad had Parkinson's the last ten years of his life, and so he shook really bad. But he always, when he'd send me a card or write me a note, he always wanted to write it himself. So it was difficult to read. But I was reading that card, and you know what I did? I heard his voice. When you read this book, you hear the voice of our Father. He speaks to us. And so when we think about these verses, don't just think about them verses on a page or some intellectual exercise or just an educational pursuit. This is the voice of God speaking to our hearts. Now, the first one, you, and, you all know. It's at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. It's called the Great Commission. The resurrected Christ stood before his disciples and said, listen, this is open line. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, he has the power, right? 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Listen to this. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In other words, as a believer, you and I are never alone. What I experienced as an 11-year-old boy at RE camp on that night, being overwhelmed with loneliness, I learned I may be by myself, but I am never alone because God is with us. So this great charge to go in the world and make disciples is given by the one who has all authority and the one who is always with us. Then look at this. Um, and, and there's this passage after passage. For Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You remember this? Again, the resurrected Christ, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Everywhere you go, no matter where you are on this planet. You realize that? In your neighborhood, at Walmart, at the grocery store, you go on a mission trip, wherever you are, you're on mission. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And then he tells us, always be prepared to make an offense to anyone who has a reason for the hope that, you, that is in you. Well, that's, that's a great thought, isn't it? Many of me, we have all the answers. Really, when someone says, why do you live the way you live? Why do you love the way you love? It's all because of Jesus. Um, where we used to live, I, uh, on my way to the church, I pastored Eagles Landing First Baptist Church for 31 years. I went there as a mission. We had 30 people, and my wife and I just grew up with the church. It was one of the the um, greatest joys of our life, to journey with that church together. But on my way sometimes to church, I would slide through McDonald's. It's not the place that you get a healthy breakfast, but I think I had become addicted at the time to Coke Zero. Anybody have that problem? Good fashion is good for the soul. So I'd slide through there, and I'd get a Coke Zero. It was a dollar. And I'd head on to church. I went through the drive-thru a couple of days in a row, and the lady in the drive-thru so she looked like she was probably 30, 32 years old. I pulled up, ordered my Coke Zero. She looked at me and she said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, why are you so nice? I said, everybody's not nice? She said, no, everybody's not nice. I said, well, it's because God has been so good to me. She said, what are you talking about? I said, has anybody ever told you about Jesus? She said, well, I've, I've heard about Jesus. And we did, we're having this conversation in the drive-thru at McDonald's. So she said, I've got to go. I said, hey, do you have a Bible? No, I don't have a Bible. Pulled out of the drive-thru, called my wife, said, hey, go get a Bible for a lady and uh, bring it home tonight. I want to give it to the lady at the drive-thru at McDonald's. Her name was Ashley. Went through the next day, dropped off the Bible. Went through the next day. Ashley looked out the window at me with this strange look. I said, what's that for? She said, you messed me up yesterday. I said, what do you mean I messed you up? She says, nobody has ever given me anything like that in my life. Now listen, she's five miles from our church. The nearest Southern Baptist Church, one half mile. I still don't know today if Ashley's ever come to know Jesus. 
But she knows the answer. Okay? Understand that when he talks about making a defense, sometimes it gets complicated. Some of their difficult questions to answer, but most of the time it's just tell them, man, it is the life that lives in me, the resurrected Christ, and his name is Jesus. Then uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Mark chapter 1, verse 17, remember this? Jesus said to his disciples, follow me and I'll make you to become what? Fishers of men. We all know that. You're following, you're fishing. All because of Jesus. And then Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, what a great statement that we never need to let go of. You ever give up hope on somebody? We shouldn't. Jesus does the remarkable, doesn't he? How then will they call on him and who they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they here without someone preaching? And how are they preaching unless they're sent? How, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Man, that is good news. And those passages are all familiar to us, aren't they? But here's the challenge. Most believers still aren't sharing. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I love Dr. Dr. Dew's message last night. I remember sitting in his office just a few months ago, and he, he looked at me and said, Tim, listen, the truth is, we are just not as an evangelistic of a people as we used to be. That's heartbreaking. Because Jesus hadn't changed. He's still the Savior. Right? It's a good word for us. So we got a problem. On the one hand, we got believers who aren't sharing. On the other hand, we've got a culture. It's just taking a hard right turn away from the Lord. Lostness permeates, uh, permeates American culture today, doesn't it? I mean, just, just think about a few things. This is the first time in American history that less than 50% of Americans um, are members of a local church. It's pretty shocking, isn't it? Approximately 30% of Americans claim to be nuns, describing themselves as atheists, agnostics, or nothing in particular. There are over 340 unreached or unengaged people groups in North America, and less than 30% of North Americans say that a Christian has shared with them personally the plan of salvation. So less than a third of the people that exist in this country say that everyone, anyone has ever shared with them the plan of salvation. I mean, you just think about that. 66% of Americans have never heard, and they live next door to us. That just presents a very difficult challenge, doesn't it? I mean, we live in a difficult day. I mean, it was a little different when I was growing up. Probably different when you were growing up, too. Church could have a revival. They'd post it on the sign, put it in the newspaper, tell their churches, their church members to hand out flowers, invite their neighbors, and they would come. Someone would stand up and preach, and we'd see lost people coming to know Christ. Today, that's an odd thing to happen, isn't it? It's not, not that God doesn't still use mass evangelism in big gatherings like revivals and evangelistic crusades, but the truth is, what's going to make the biggest difference in the life of the people that you and I know 
is that you and I start telling the story in a very difficult day. Here's, here's what I have to say to you today. With all the bad news, there is good news. There is still hope. God is at work. We're not the first group of Christians to walk through a day and age that's difficult. I mean, just think about what's happening in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John go to the temple. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, about the same time that we're uh, at right now. They go up, for the temple, uh, go up to the temple for the hour of prayer. You remember what happens? They go through the gate called Beautiful. There's a man there that's been lame from birth over 40 years, begging for alms. Remember, Peter looks at him and says, Hey, don't have any change to give you, but what I have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. Remember, the guy gets up. His, his legs are made strong. He's leaping and praising God in the temple. He's following Peter and John around. I, I would too, wouldn't you? You never walked a day in your life. You're lying by a gate. Two guys walk by. You're begging for money. Reach down and grab your hand. Says the name of Jesus Christ. Rise and walk. Your legs are strong. You're able to jump around. I would follow them everywhere. And all the people around Notice, this is the guy every day that lays at the gate. And so they all gather at Solomon's portico. And Peter preaches. He declares the truth of God in the hope that's found in Jesus' name. But we're told in Acts chapter 4 that the captain of the temple and the Sadducees and the priest were greatly annoyed at what was happening. And here's the real rub. Peter and John were, were proclaiming Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Powerful. You remember what happened? They get arrested. They're standing before the council, being interrogated. I like what Peter says. In fact, in verse 8 of chapter 4, it says this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And listen to verse 12. You, you know what he's going to say. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now listen to this. Listen to what, what happens. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and recognized that they had been with Jesus. He changed everything. Looking for an open mic. None, nothing is turned up. Yeah. By the time you get to the end of the chapter, we the read the verse that we read in verse 31. When Peter and John were released, they charged them to not speak any more in the name of Jesus. When they were released, it says in verse 23, they went to their friends, reported the chief priests and the elders had said to them, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Ah, sovereign Lord, 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now listen to what they prayed. By the way, let me just say, if you and I experience that kind of persecution in America, first thing we would do is try to get on the news so that everyone would hear our story. What a terrible place that we live in. This is not the first time in human history we've faced opposition as believers. It's not the first time that the church has been under pressure. It's not the first time that we experience people that are indifferent and hard-hearted to the gospel. But watch what they prayed. They prayed this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then we read. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So let me give this to you. What did they do? When all that happened, what did they do? They prayed. God answered. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and given the boldness to continue to live for the glory of God and speak the truth of the gospel to their friends, their neighbors. And God continued to add to the church. Remember Acts chapter 2? 3,000. Acts chapter 4? 5,000 men. The church was growing. God was adding to his church daily. He'll do it again. At least that's what I'm praying for. So this is what I want to focus on for a few minutes. What, what can we learn from this group of believers who were faithful in the face of opposition and persecution? Let me just give you three things to think about. As a Christian, when boldness is your greatest need, prayer is your greatest help. Prayer is your greatest help. I, I, and you came in today, hopefully you got one of these bands. You get one of them? It has Psalm 85.6 on it. Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? That's what it says. Simple prayer for revival, isn't it? I just want you, I just want to be honest with you. That's what I'm praying for. Wouldn't it be great to see another great awakening in America today? Wouldn't it be great to see God move in such a miraculous, amazing way and saving souls across our nation? That no matter who you were, a believer or a non-believer, the only words that you could use to explain it is say that God is at work. God is at work. Where does that start? Where does that boldness start? It starts when we pray. I've been around a while now. I've met a lot of people in my life that pray too little, but I've never met one that said I pray too much. We're the most distracted age in human history. We're busy from the time we get up to the time we go to bed. We have the television on, the radio on, cell phones on, or on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever else you got going on. 
We get to the end of the day and we say, I just don't have time to pray. Or I wonder why this world is in such a mess. I wonder why we don't ever see anybody saved. Listen, it's because we don't save people. You don't save anybody. I don't save anybody. God saves. What brings power to our lives? The presence of God's Holy Spirit. What gives power to our words? The work of His Holy Spirit. What convicts the heart of someone who's lost? God's sweet, gracious Holy Spirit. What do we need to do? Listen, I'll tell you, there is hope. There's hope for boldness for you and for me. And, and, and again, remember this. We're not just talking to pastors. We're not just talking to staff members. You don't have to be the most educated person in the room. When they looked at Peter and John, they said, these guys are ordinary guys, uneducated. But they've been with Jesus. We can tell that. This is, this is, what, I, this is what I learned about them, just studying this and thinking about it. Their supreme affection was for Jesus. And they couldn't hide it. When you pray, that affection grows. You believe that? You believe when you read this book, you hear his voice, and when you drop to your knees or you stop in your car and you pray, he hears yours? I do. Doesn't that amaze you? That the God who spoke this world into existence out of nothing hears us when we pray. But he does. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Man, we're in need, aren't we? Listen, there's some great tools out there for evangelism. Probably got more tools and more training that goes on now for evangelism than ever in the history of, of American life. And it seems like we have less effectiveness. We really need to see the power of God at work in our own hearts. And that comes when we pray. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, you'll remember this because it's the passage that talks about putting on the armor of God. Remember this? Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's intimidating, isn't it? Have you paid attention to that list? And we wake up every day not even acknowledging that we're in a battle. But all these things are against us. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having as shoes for your feet, and having uh, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can, be, you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying. Did you hear that? How do you do all that? Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
In fact, Paul adds, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, now listen to this, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What does Paul say? Listen, after all of that, he says, pray for me. Your prayers help me to be bold in proclaiming the gospel. We need to pray for ourselves and we need to pray for one another and we see God work. Every single revival ever documented in human history was preceded and then continued to be bathed in seasons of prayer. Did you know that America and Europe are the only declining, uh, where Christianity is declining, the other countries around the world, Christianity is growing. But you go back and look at what's happening, they pray. They pray. So when boldness is your greatest need, prayer is your greatest help. Second thing, as Christian, when boldness is your greatest desire, the Holy Spirit is your greatest strength. When boldness is your greatest desire, the Holy Spirit is your greatest strength. You know, I, I've, I've learned this lesson the hard way. Because there are times when I think I've readied myself so well to have a gospel conversation. And then I get there and I forget everything that I readied myself for. Has that ever happened to you? I remember one night I went to a young man's home. He was a coach. And um, just made a gospel appointment. Said, hey, I want to come by and see you and talk to you. He knew why I wanted to come. But this time, he said, yeah, why don't you come on by? Gave us a night. Me and a friend went over there. Knocked on the door. He welcomed us in. This guy was, man, this guy was like Hercules. He was one of those big, burly guys, just athletic, smart, had it all going for him. I sat down on the couch, and I started going through the gospel. I don't know what happened, but along the way, I messed everything up. You ever done that? I'm listening to myself talk and saying to myself, Lord, somehow bless this man because I don't even know what I'm saying. He was intimidating. He didn't mean to be, but he was. I got off track. I still presented the gospel, but to me, I thought to myself, there's no way this man's going to come to Christ. So when I got done, I looked at him and said, so what do you think? And this big, strong guy had a tear running down his face. He said, to be honest, I've been waiting my whole life for somebody to tell me some good news. And that's the best news I've ever heard. And he got on his knees in his living room and gave his life to Christ. It's a reminder, we don't save anybody. J.J. preached on it this morning. And we don't have to be eloquent. It doesn't depend on us. But God chooses to use us to carry the gospel. And if we proclaim the hope that we have in Jesus, the message will go out, and they'll hear. And God will save. He's faithful to save. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. I wondered if Peter and John, when they were standing before the council, 
and trying to make a defense for all that they had done in this man's life and what they had proclaimed at Solomon's portico, remembered Matthew chapter 10. When Jesus said to them, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak and what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Man, that's, that's powerful, isn't it? It's good news. In fact, one of the passages that I've fallen in love with is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5-7. through where Paul writes to the church in Corinth, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. For we have this treasure, treasure of the gospel, in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're just jars of clay. How mad grease you've got? What your professional experience looks like, no matter how great your resume may be, we're just a jar of clay. To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Last thing I'll say is this. As a Christian, when the Holy Spirit fills your heart with boldness, your voice will be filled with the gospel. When you pray... Holy Spirit fills your heart. And by the way, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Acts chapter 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. In the middle of chapter 4, verse 8, it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we get to the end of Acts chapter 4. It says they prayed and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a second Pentecost. Whatever you have to say, you have to know this. The power to, to live out the gospel is found in the Holy Spirit. And you and I all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every morning when I get up and pray, one of the things I pray, just to discipline myself. In fact, I was listening to Michael W. Smith sing, give me eyes, uh, give me, how's it go? Yes, that's what I pray. Lord, give me your eyes that I'll see people the way you see them. Give me your hands, I'll help people the way you help them. Give me your heart that I'd love people the way you love them. Because if left to myself, I'm going to be more full of me than I am of him. I give this day to you, and I give myself to you. Rule me and lead me in your way and according to your plans. And we need that. The last thing to know is this. When the Holy Spirit fills your heart with boldness, your voice will be filled with the gospel. J.J. talked about that today. Paul said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If we'll pray, and we'll keep getting on our knees, till our lives are filled up with the Holy Spirit, when we stand on our feet and live as we go every day, the gospel will be on our lips. Because when you got Jesus, you got everything you need. A few years ago, God just started gripping my heart with this message. 
And I was, I was thinking, how, how am I going to keep this in the forefront of my mind? Because there are so many demands in life, so much that we get caught up in. I think that the, the, the default from the human soul is selfishness. If we wake up, and even as believers, if we're not prayed, we're not in the Word, we'll just drift into a self-consumed life. And I felt myself doing that. So I started getting up in the morning and asked myself, all right, 61 years old. If I'm a man that's 61, have everything I've got, house to live in, a good wife, wonderful family, good job. But if I didn't have Jesus, what would I want me to do to make sure I heard the hope that's found in Christ? I think sometimes the reason we get off track is that we've been saved for a long time. I was 11, 50 years ago. Gosh, that sounds old. Here's what happens. We're in Christ so long that we forget what it's like to be lost. You can have nothing. You got Jesus. You got all you need. You can have everything this world has to offer. You've got no Jesus. You've got nothing that you need. You with me? So you say, why do we need boldness? Let me just give you a few reasons and wrap things up. One, because of the spiritual battle we fight. Ephesians 6, what we just read. Two, because of the cultural indifference and opposition that we face. We need boldness because of the indifference and the opposition that we face every day in this world. Three, because of the brevity of life this life, and because of the eternality of the life to come. Four, because of the existence of sin, death, and hell. It's kind of interesting what's happened to hell. We just kind of pretend it doesn't exist today. We make light of it. Let me just say to you, if you, if you say there is no hell, you, you don't just disparage what God's word teaches you also disparage what Jesus said he taught there is a hell that's real it's reality but in spite of all this the reason we need boldness because of the hope that we need is only found in Jesus And he gives it to us. One heart at a time. My wife loves to go to antique stores. Y'all have those here? I think they have them everywhere. I don't really like them. Not my thing. But my wife's my thing. I love her. She likes to go. So typically, we'll take a Saturday, and we go. Now, I know when we start going to these antique stores, and I've got a name for them, House of Junk. That's a great name for antique store. It's all the stuff that people don't want. They put them in a big warehouse, and they invite you to go through and shop. I keep telling my, my wife every time we pull up, now you realize that all the stuff that we're about to see, people just didn't want. She said, but there might be something that we just can't stand to live without. I was like, man, I hope not. 
But I've learned this. If you go to one of those places, they go on forever. You pull up at the front. It looks like a little one-room place. You think, oh, this shouldn't take too long. Man, 30 minutes, and we'll be out of here. No, 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 no. You walk in, and when you open the door, it's a whole new world in there. Like, this is like magic. This is a little one-room house, and now you open it up, and they got hallways and floors, and oh, just keep, it's like booth after booth of junk. So I've learned that when I walk in, I go to the desk and say, hey, can I ask you a question? Do y'all have a men's section? Those guys, have you been? Y'all don't want to admit it, do you? If you've ever been to one of them, it's mostly lady stuff. It's dishes and spoons and forks and hadn't been washed in 50 years. I mean, oh, that's all the stuff that's in there. So I'll ask, is there a men's section? Usually they'll tell me, well, if you go down this hall, take a right, go up to the third floor in the back corner, there's, a, there's some tools a guy has back there. I'm like, okay, that's great. So one day we went to this place, and I told my wife as we're walking in, I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to ask my standard question. Is there a men's section? So you just shop all you want because this one looks big. I mean, it looked big on the outside. I was like, this is going to be probably three days. We'll be out of here in three days. So I got up to the counter and said, hey, you got a men's section? She told me, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If you go back through this door, go down this hallway, turn it. Oh, in the back. And there's, there's a lot of stuff back there. I was like, yeah, a lot of stuff. Okay, thank you. And I'm walking by, and I look over, and there's a counter about this tall, and it's long. It's got glass on the front, and it's got locks on it. That usually means that's the expensive dishes, you know, that they put in there. Well, I'm walking by, and I'm just taking a look. I mean, you got to do something, right? I'm looking in there. And as I'm walking by, I notice there's an old fishing lure. It's like, what in the world? Behind locked glass? I love to fish. Okay, I love to fish. Grew up fishing with my dad. My grandfather lived on a road called Poor Robin Road. It was in Abbeville, Georgia. Okay, very, very small town. Dirt road. On the way to the Old Muggy River. My grandfather used to go to the river, catch fish. He built a block pond in his front yard. He'd put the fish in it because when you went fishing, didn't catch any fish, he'd sell you his fish. That's how he made a living. I grew up with that. I love fish. I look at this lure. I'm thinking, who made the lure to be behind a locked glass? So I stop and I start looking around. And this whole section is filled with fishing gear. I'm like gold mine. I have hit the gold mine. And so I'm, I mean, I'm looking. The lady comes out. She says, hey, I forgot about that. You want me to unlock that for you? I said, oh, I'd love that. Well, I, I start looking through the stuff, and there's some handmade fishing lures like my grandfather used to make. Just enamored. There was some fly rods made out of bamboo. I mean, old, expensive fly rods. Just really incredible. 45 minutes later, I'm sitting on the floor, looking, still looking in this counter. The lady comes over and she says, hey, would you want to buy any of this? I said, man, I don't know. I, it's really interesting, but it's really expensive. I'm not sure I'm, I'm going to buy any of it, but it's just kind of intriguing, all this fishing stuff. I've never seen anything like it. I said, well, you know, the lady that owns it is in the parking lot. I said, what? A lady owns all this? She said, yeah. I said, well, I, I got to meet her. So I walk out in the parking lot, and there's a lady, and she's about 80 years old. She's digging around the back of a pickup truck. 
my kind of girl. Eight years old, owes a bunch of fishing stuff, and is digging around in a pickup truck. That's kind of cool, isn't it? And I walk up to her and said, hey, uh, my name's Tim Dowdy, and I was just looking at some of your fishing collection inside. She said, yeah. I said, what do you, what do you think? I said, oh, it's incredible. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. She said, oh, you haven't seen anything yet. She said, you ought to come to my house. I got a whole garage, and it's all filled with fishing gear. All kinds of lures, poles, reels, all kinds of antique from all over the U.S. I was like, that's incredible. How, how, did, you, how did you start liking fish? She said, oh, no, it wasn't mine. It was my husband. My husband's passed away, and he collected all of this. I said, well, let me ask you a question. I'm just in, I always grew up fishing, never seen anybody have this much stuff. When did your husband love to fish? When did he find out and discover that he loved to fish? She said, oh, he didn't fish. I said, what? Oh, no, he hated fishing. I'm like, what? She said, no, no, he just liked the stuff. In my head, I'm saying, this is the weirdest couple I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and I'm walking back into the store, and it's like the Lord dropped a bomb in my soul. He says, it's not so weird to me. My church is a lot like that. They don't fish. It's like all the stuff. In Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. If you're following, you'll be fishing. It doesn't mean we'll all suddenly become extroverts, but it does mean this every day when we wake up, we'll look to heaven. And say, Lord, let's go fishing. I'm going to Walmart, let's go fishing. I'm going next door, let's go fishing. Going on a mission trip, let's go fishing. You give me another day, let's go fishing. And here's what I know. When we share the good news of the gospel... Jesus still saves. You believe that? So here's what I want us to do. Man, I'm, just, I'm still just praying for revival. And as you wear this, every time you look down, notice it, you just stop for a minute, just one minute, and just pray that, that verse. Lord, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? When God revives his church, when he revives our lives, we won't be able to shut up about the good news of the gospel of Jesus. We talk about what we love, don't we? Let's just pray that. But I want us to pray something today. Because what I found stirs my heart for others more than anything else is praying for people who I know that don't know Jesus. Right now, I have on my list Nick, Greg, Matt, David, 
bullet. And the lady I sat on the plane with coming over here. In the morning, I call out their name to Jesus. I want us to do that right now. I want you to do something different in church for a minute. Someone on your heart, somebody you know, maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's one of your children. Maybe it's a cousin. Maybe it's your next door neighbor. Maybe it's a friend down the street. Somebody you've known for a long time that just never believed. But they're on your heart. And every time you see them, it bothers you. But they don't know the Lord. Listen, there is nothing worse in this life than going to a funeral or speaking at a funeral. And you know that person didn't know Jesus. But God's put you in their life. Those people you got on your heart. Not so that they could know you. They put you in their life so that they could know him. Every friend, every family member, every person you meet, you're there so they can know him. So I want you to do that as we pray today. I'm going to, just a minute, we're just going to bow our heads. If you want to, kind of like a, a coach, you want to get on one knee, if, you, if you're able to do that, you can. But where you are, right where you're seated, I just want out loud you to call out the names of people or just their initials. If you don't want to, if they're sitting with you, you may want to just call out their initials. And let's just do that, and then let's pray for them. You with me? Okay. On the count of three, you just call them out, out loud, loud as you can, names of people that you're praying for to know Jesus. One, two, three. Father, we haven't told you anything new today. By calling out these names to you, you know that they need to know you. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in their hearts today, drawing them to you. And I pray for the people that are in this room. I pray for myself. I pray that you would fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit, give us the strength and power and boldness that we need so that we would have the opportunity to share with them the good news of the gospel. And we pray that you would save them, make them your own. And Lord, we pray that you get glory from that. Lord, I thank you for the people that are here. I thank you for what you've been doing in their lives. I thank you for the salvation that they enjoy. I thank you for the lives that you've given them and entrusted to them. I pray now that you would bless them and use them, empower them, and give them boldness to live a life holy and pleasing to you. And give them the opportunity day by day to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So that we may continue to see your great work in this nation and in the nations around the world. And we'll give you praise for what you do in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you so much.